0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC. And whether you're with us in person or on the live stream, we offer you a very, very warm welcome. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning as we gather in the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to exalt him, to celebrate him, and to worship him. If you are a a first-time visitor here today, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We hope that you were greeted as you came in, offered kind of one of our bags of swag, goodie bags that has some wonderful stuff in it, gives you a little information about us as well. And I'd like to ask everyone, this is is the part of the service where if you're at the end of an aisle, this is where I play my Southwest Airlines uh, TSA or whatever agent, If you're at the end of an aisle, there are friendship paths. If you would get them, started, this for everyone. We just want to get to know you. It offers, if you feel free, offers us an opportunity to know who's here and get to know you a little bit better. Pass it down to your neighbor in the aisle, and we would greatly appreciate it. We have a lot of announcements this morning. I'm only going to make a couple. You have bulletins that you can uh, look at. One of the things, if you remember back to the fall when we were having the small group meetings in people's homes regarding LOPC 2.0, we said that one of the things that would be happening in the new year, and last I heard this was the new year, so it's happening now, is that we would be doing updates, refreshes to our gorgeous and wonderful facilities. The Lord has blessed us with these, and we want to keep them up to date. If you remember, we talked about lighter and brighter. And so after the service, this is purely informational if you are interested. We have formed kind of a little bit of a task force made up of some elders and deacons and members of the congregation, and they want to have a very brief informational. It's not a congregational meeting, no voting, just information for you if you are interested. So stay back after the service and join us for that. And that will happen immediately after the benediction and the close of the service. Today is also a day of special guests, and so I, I'm probably Rich in trouble. Where did Rich Dreesnet go? I'm probably in trouble for this, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I can be the one in trouble, but the stated clerk of our denomination, Brian Chappell, and his wife, Kathy, they're sitting in the back incognito, so we don't embarrass them, but welcome to Brian and Kathy. And then we have guest missionaries with us, Mark and Rahel Landrum, who serve in Sydney, Australia. In fact, i better be quiet because I'll be stealing their thunder. And so Mark and Rahel, give us a little update, if you would, come on up. Is any of this in your way?
1: Well, thank you so much for having us. It's great to be back at LOPC. I am Mark, this is Rachel, and we're so grateful for the support, the faithful support of LOPC for us in Sydney and in Jewish evangelism in general. Um, We are going to have a short video in a moment or two, but uh, I just thought it might be good for Rachel to explain those cards that you have in your bulletins.
2: Yeah, so, the, so some of you that don't know us, there will be, like Mark was saying, an introductory, introductory video about our, us and our ministry. Uh, we will be glad to, um, if you have any questions after the, uh, the service, um, um, it would be great to chat with you uh, personally. But in your bulletin, you should receive one of these cards that uh, shares a little bit about our ministry. Uh, so if you see that it's perforated on one side, if you're bending it back and forth, uh, then you can attach detach that, and this, uh, you know, is like a bookmark. Maybe you can put in your Bible or on a fridge. Um, and so, when you see this, uh, remember to pray for us. And the other card is, if you like to receive uh, personally our um, our prayer letter, that you can be involved in what God is doing through our ministry. Uh, it, it's exciting to see what God is doing, and uh, you can be part of that. Uh, personally, by praying for us. Um, and also, there's an opportunity to invest in our ministry all the way down under at the ends of the earth. Um, so that's uh, uh, options of you to do that. And you can, if you fill this card out, you can uh, give it to us personally after the service. Just one thing about the uh, bookmark. Uh, the QR code actually, unfortunately, doesn't work. But come to us at the end if you'd like to um, to um, sort of um get receiver find an alternative and we can let you know what it is but looking forward to talking to you at the end of the service and we'll watch the video right now
1: Jewish people become followers of Jesus, um, become part of the the global church, really. So uh, we're very much a mission organization. We've been around for 175 years, so one of the oldest Jewish missions in the world, in fact. What people fail to um, realize is that we are an unreached people group, Jewish people. Less than 0.01% of Jewish people in the world actually embrace Jesus as Lord and Messiah. So uh, our need is great to um, have the Great Commission brought back to us. There are approximately 110,000 Jewish people in Australia. The majority live in Sydney and Melbourne. Every one of them needs to know Jesus as their Messiah, and very few of them do. Outside of Israel, Australia has the highest number of Holocaust survivors per capita in the world. Rachel and I can relate to them, as both of us are children of Holocaust survivors.
2: My father, who was a Holocaust survivor from Romania, thought it's best for us to move to Israel. But looking back, we now realize the reason for the move was not only to escape anti-Semitism, but for her whole family to uh, meet Jesus there. I personally became a believer at the age of 18, right before enlisting in the Israeli army. Later, I found myself compelled to share my faith so other Jewish people might know Jesus too.
1: During the week, we focus on ministering to Jewish People 101. We also hold special evangelistic events as we celebrate Jewish holidays and focus on their connection to Jesus. On the weekends, we focus on speaking in churches about the Jewish roots of the faith. Our most popular presentation is called the Gospel in the Passover. The Jewish roots of the faith are important and relevant for all churches whether or not they are located in Jewish areas.
2: There's a priority given to Jewish evangelism in scripture. The Apostle Paul said, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. This is God's heart. He gave the message of redemption to the Jewish people first so they might be able to spread it to the rest of the world which they did in the first century. But most Jewish people today think Jesus is for anyone else but for them. Some Christians think that way too but it's not the Bible's way. Jewish people need Jesus in order to be saved. So we need to bring the message back to the original messengers. That's why I think Jewish evangelism should be something every Christian person takes interest in and helps in some way, by praying for Jewish people, by witnessing to Jewish friends and neighbors, and by supporting a Jewish outreach organization like ours.
1: We hope that you would consider supporting the work international mission to jewish people here in australia you can support this work in prayer you can support it financially and mark and rahel would greatly appreciate your personal support
0: mark and rahel it's a privilege to be able to partner with you all in this ministry we're grateful for you all and we commit to praying for you as well. Friends, uh, what a joy it is to be in the presence of God as we worship him this morning. Let's prepare our hearts as the prelude is played. worship this morning when you come to worship what is it that you expect do we expect that maybe we're consumers and we're going to get a sense of peace a sense of joy oh it's fun to see my friends it's good all those things may happen but may I kind of exhort or challenge us a little bit do we expect to be confronted by the living almighty God whose glory fills the earth. God is in our midst. Jesus himself is the great song leader, leading the congregation in praises. And we are here to declare the glory and the praises of the living God. Friends, hear the call to worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Father, we praise you and thank you that you have called us together with one voice, one heart, and one mind to declare your glory, to bless you at all times, for your praise to continually be in our mouth, to make our boast in you. And we invoke your name to join with us this morning, that you would be here and pleased in our midst as we declare your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing out together, holy, holy, holy. Heard the cherubim and the seraph, and they're around the royal throne of God, declaring, "Holy, holy, holy." What was the very next thing that happened to him? He was struck. He said, "Woe is me! I have, a, I am a sinful man. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." One of the things we're doing in worship each and every Lord's Day is we are retelling the gospel story. And it begins with the holiness and the glory of God, which leads us to be confronted with our sin. James, speaking to the church, said, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Without expositing everything James is saying, one of the messages I take from this is don't be casual about your sin. Take it seriously. We were built for relationship with God, and we all live for ourselves. We all live, and we try to save ourselves. We live autonomously. And so we live outside of God. But as we sang, holy, 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 would we sing? Merciful and mighty. Our God is full of mercy. And he's drawing us to himself. Take a few moments. Come clean with God. Do business with God. Engage with him. Take your sins seriously. But, oh, my friends, take the mercy of God even more seriously. Let's personally confess our sins. And then in a few moments, I will lead us in and we will confess our sins together. Let's pray. Let us pray together. O gracious and gentle and condescending God, God of peace, Father of mercy, God of all comfort, we confess before you the evil of our hearts. We acknowledge that we are too inclined toward anger, jealousy, and revenge, to ambition and pride, which often give rise to discord and bitter feelings between others and us. Too often we have thus both offended and grieved you, O long-suffering Father. Forgive us this sin and permit us to partake of the blessing you have promised the peacemakers who shall be called the children of God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And friends, receive the assurance of pardon. John writes, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Friends, let's continue to worship, standing and singing together, how great is our God. can't help but think as we sing that great song how different we would be if we functionally lived out of the reality of the greatness of God. The fact that he is the lion of Judah, all-powerful, he is the king, he roars, he's victorious, and yet he's tender as a lamb. He's the lamb of God who laid down his life for us. Even while we were running as fast as we could away from him, He laid down his life. Imagine how different we would be if we were gripped with the greatness of God. Friends, let's go before the Lord in a time of prayer, and we get to think about what we read earlier in our assurance of pardon. He calls us, through Christ, children of God. We get to, in a sense, run up on our Father's knee right now and commune with him. We get to talk with him, and he loves that. So we will pray together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us. Amen. See what kind of love that the Father lavishes and bestows on us that we should be called children of God. And as if we really don't believe in it, it's kind of like too good to be true. We don't buy into it. John says, and so we are. So Father, who are sovereign over the universe, who are ruling and reigning over the universe, may we hallow your name. Father, we pray to set your name apart as unique, as great. May we be consumed. May our boast be in you and be consumed with how great is our God. Lord, our words aren't eloquent. We're not all that polished. But, Lord, we're gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, and we praise you that you accept us because of Jesus and his righteousness. And, Lord, we look out over the world and we see... We don't always see evidences of your kingdom, of your rule and reign. There is pain, there is hatred, there is violence, there is discord. So as your people, as Jesus, you instructed us, we cry out, O Lord, may your kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. We long, we ache. We want to hasten the coming of you to put everything to rights. We ask, Father, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, as a people, we would be about doing your will. We pray that we would wait upon you and listen to you. So, Father, I pray this morning for the leadership of the church. I pray for the elders and the deacons. I pray, Father, for the staff. I pray, Father, for ministry leaders, the women's ministry. I pray for all the ministries of the church and the small groups. I pray, Father, that we would be committed to doing your will, even when it's uncomfortable to us that we would trust you know best, we would trust in the Lord with all our hearts, and we would lean not on our own understanding. And Father, we pray for our daily bread. We pray for physical, spiritual, emotional, relational sustenance. This morning I lift up Mark and Rahel Landrum. I pray for their ministry in Australia amongst Jewish people. I pray, Father, that you give them their daily bread. I pray for their support, their partnerships. I pray, Father, for them to be encouraged spiritually and relationally, to know that there is a base of people praying for them as they are about sharing the good news of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Lord, I pray for their marriage. I pray for their family. I pray that you would sustain and be with them. And Father, I pray for us as a people that we would be a gracious and forgiving people because we have a gracious and forgiving God. Forgive us that we are about so many other things sometimes, trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to prove our own worth, trying to prove we're right. We act like we're better than others when, Lord, we are at best beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. So, Lord, may we be a gracious and holy people. Protect us from temptation. Protect us from ourselves. Protect us from the world. Protect us from the evil one. And Father, as we continue to worship in song, as in praise, in confession, in communion, in prayer, Lord, may you, we recognize, we acknowledge that yours and yours alone is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right, confession time. I have to admit as we are continuing in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans, I feel a bit overwhelmed this morning. We are in probably one of the most difficult, theologically dense, theologically pregnant, and hardest portions of Paul's letter to grasp and understand. So I don't know if it's just I'm not all that smart, or I'd like to pretend I'm humble, but I really am not sure I believe that. Uh, this is one of those where I'm gripped by my conscience that I have to preach the whole counsel of God, although everything in me wants to go, can we turn instead to John 3.16, for God so loved the world? Either that or have Mark Landrum come up and preach this sermon for me, but he's already declined my offer in, in terms of that. But we are looking this. Let me remind you, especially if you're visiting today, not kind of caught up with what we're doing. We are going through, talk about ambitious. We're going through Paul's letter to the Romans. And because I didn't want to do it the way the great preacher uh, David Martin Lloyd Jones did it, take eight years to do it. We're doing it kind of in four different mini series. And let me remind you what Romans is all about. Paul, at heart, is a missionary. He's an evangelist. He's going about the Mediterranean world, the ancient world, wanting to. That's why we saw it in the video, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's part of Paul's heart. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. Remember that as we go through the text that we're going to look at this morning. To the Jew first. That is still God's plan. And then to the Gentile. So Rome is the capital city of the empire, very cosmopolitan, very culturally, racially diverse, and Paul is wanting to change his base of operations. He's been living in ministry in Antioch, and he's wanting to go westward, the end of the book of Romans, will say, as far west as Spain, and he wants to change his base of operations. He wants to make it out of the center of the empire, Rome. And so what he's doing is he's writing a letter basically saying, here's what I'm all about here's my gospel, here's what I believe. And so he is explaining what the gospel is all about. And he goes about doing this in this section of the letter, which is chapters 9 to 11, by retelling the story of Israel. So we have to remember the big picture context when we look at this little section is Paul is basically saying, here's biblical history. Like a child in a car seat looking backwards, Paul is saying you can only know where you are by seeing where you have come from. And so here in this passage, Romans chapter 9, verse 30, to chapter 10, verse 4, he's basically standing back and asking, where have we got in the story so far? And the passage answers that question. So friends, let's read the text together. If you have Bibles, I'd invite you to turn. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 9, verse 30, So, chapter 10, verse 4. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Would you pray with me? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Father, we praise you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray now that whether it's me as the deliverer of your word or us hearing it, you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, and that the eyes of our hearts would see the glory and the hope that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Years ago, I read an account, a story of a woman who had attended a Bible conference. It was a conference called a Sonship Week, which was basically a discipleship conference that was hosted by what was then called World Harvest Mission. Today we know it as Surge. And this woman shared the following story. She writes, she says, When I was very young, my older sister was hanging up my father's white business shirts on the clothesline to dry. I was suddenly filled with the urge to hang up one of my daddy's white shirts. I loved my daddy, and I wanted to please him and I was little, and I simply wanted to show my love for my dad. I couldn't reach the clothesline. It was too high, and I was too small. But I saw a wheelbarrow in the yard, and its handles were just the right height for me. I didn't notice how rusty it was, and I rather joyfully pinned the wet shirt to the handles. When my dad got home and saw the shirt on the wheelbarrow, he became very angry with me and punished me severely for ruining his white shirt. She goes on to share that she hadn't realized the impact that this had made on her. Her view of God, her relationships with others. And so here she was at this conference, and she's hearing about the love of Jesus. She's hearing how through the gospel, through faith in Christ and his work for her on the cross, he loved her. He delighted in her. He cherished her. He treasured her. She was hearing about this concept of the righteousness of of Jesus Christ, that she could have, not by performing for it, but she could have this, which basically means, let me define the big 64,000 theological terms, a status before God as acceptable, as right, that is conferred upon us as a gift. And she's hearing about all of this. She's meeting with somebody who's basically mentoring her, counseling her, discipling her at the conference, and she's telling him about this memory of the shirt. And her father, and saying that if God, her heavenly father, saw me standing next to the wheelbarrow with the ruined shirt on it, he would forget the shirt and just give me a hug. To which the counselor looked at her very tenderly and said, you still don't understand fully. God would not overlook the shirt. He would take it, he would put it on, and he would proudly wear it to work. And when someone commented on the rust marks, he would say, let me tell you about my little girl and how much she loves me. Tears started coming down from her eyes. Amazing, overwhelming love. And all because of this thing in the text called righteousness. The standard of God, the justice of God, And it says in verse 4 of the text we're looking at this morning, for Christ is the end, the goal, the telos, the purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the woman at this conference concluded by saying, I was overwhelmed with that realization. I'm beginning to realize that my Christian life, and maybe even if we're not Christians, our non-Christian life has been a continual effort to earn God's pleasure, to earn everybody else's approval by maybe getting the right shirts hung up just perfectly. See, we all want to fundamentally know we are okay. We want approval. We want validation. We want vindication. The Bible calls that righteousness. And this text tells us that there's both a wrong way And a correct way to obtain that. To know that you are acceptable. Wouldn't you like to leave here this morning, take a deep breath, know the pressure's off, and know that you're okay? That no matter what happens, no matter how often you mess up, no matter how bad you think you look before others, no matter what you think others think of you, you're okay. This text tells us how we can find that. What does this text teach us about how we can be acceptable to God? Two things. First, it tells us be careful about where you stumble. And secondly, it tells us submit to the right righteousness. Look with me be careful about where you stumble. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Remember, he's saying, We've come to the story so far. Where have we landed? He says that Gentiles, now recognize what he's talking about here, biblical history. You have Jewish people, and Gentiles are basically everyone else. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they've somehow attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. That's key. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Paul says, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. So as a result, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Let's look at this text. Here's Paul sharing the story of Israel, basically from Abraham. He's going, remember I said this is biblical history. From ba- Abraham and God's promises to him down through the exile, And now the return from exile and the renewal of God's covenant relationship with his people, all culminating in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And Paul's asking, where are we? Where have we got in the story? And he comes to what would be seen as a completely strange, completely surprising twist in the story. A twist maybe to them, certainly not to God. When he says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. So one of the things Paul is saying is, we are all it's universal that we're seeking this righteousness. It's universal that we're all seeking, we may not even be aware of it, a law that leads to us being okay, acceptable, approvable. And he goes on, he says, Gentiles, they're, what are they doing? They're going about their merry way, not really concerned with the status of righteousness, at least outwardly. They've somehow obtained it while the Jewish people, God's chosen people, still God's chosen people, very concerned with their relationship with God, somehow missed it. What they were seeking, they did not find. In pursuing the law of God, which is a marker of a right relationship with God, which Paul says is good, by the way, they missed the law of God. They didn't succeed in reaching the law of God, the righteousness of God. Tim Keller calls this a topsy-turvy situation. He writes, the ones who knew the most about God did not come to know God, while the ones who knew the least about God came to know God the best. He draws a contrast. He says, basically, if you try to understand it, he says, picture it this way. It's like the irreligious, those who don't have any concern for morals, the right thing. They're just going about their way. We may say they're, eat, drink, and be merry. They're going about, and they basically come to see their need. We're going to see in a minute their need for grace and mercy. They recognize their sin, and they turn to Jesus as their hope. While Israel, by and large, for the most part, for this time in history, he calls the religious, often miss the gospel because too often they are not honest with themselves about their need, about their sin, and they're smug and condescending towards others, offended by grace. See, let me try to make this practical. Sometimes we can't see where we miss the gospel without help. We may believe in the gospel, but functionally, do we always believe in the gospel? See, I think I've told you this story before, but it fits in here, so I'm going to tell you again. And I'm hoping some of you at least have forgotten, and maybe some of you haven't heard it. And I'm not name-dropping, but Tim Keller was my teacher and faculty advisor while I was in seminary. So you all think I'm an extroverted person with a lot of energy now. Picture me at age 27, okay? Where you now have extroverted, energetic, and extremely arrogant. And studying to be in the ministry, learning about this thing called the Reformed faith, Reformed theology, Reformed tradition. Call it whatever you want. Now let me add something to the picture and to the story. I was newly married. I mean, very newly married, just months into this thing called marriage. And my wife comes from a background. I think she happens to be more holy, more godly, and more spiritual than I am, but she didn't come from a Reformed background. So guess what I was? I was a heretic-seeking missile. I had my theological howitzer out. And I loved Evie, right? Right? And she was the chief heretic in my household, so I thought. And so one day, I'm sitting in Tim Keller's van in the parking lot next door to Westminster Theological Seminary where I went, and I'm going on and on about, Tim, Evie's got to believe this. I can't believe she's not believing this reformed theology. This is so great. She's got to believe. And I'm going on and on. In my exuberant, arrogant youth, and he looks at me and he says, Do you enjoy being the Holy Spirit? Now you can ask Evie, she says, I was a different sort of husband after that. But here's the point we all miss the gospel. In biblical history, Paul is showing how the Jewish people historically, certainly not every one of them, Paul himself was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. All the writers of the New Testament, for the most part, were Jewish. But in history, for the most part, they missed the gospel. And guess what? All of us Gentiles, too, and even all of us who have been believers for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, we miss the gospel. Paul picks up in the text and he says, why? Why do we miss the gospel? And he says here, because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were on works, it's like hardwired into us. If I perform, I will be accepted. If I achieve, I will be accepted. Come on now, be honest with me. How many of you have had the thought before? If I just have my daily devotion in the morning, I read my Bible and pray, God will bless me with a good day. That's pursuing the law of righteousness by works. I had what they call doctrinal righteousness, reformed theological righteousness. And I tried to overwhelm Evie with it. And then Paul, remember I said, he's looking back at the story. Where have we got this far? He says they didn't pursue it by faith, but instead, as if it were based on works, he says, and he's quoting Isaiah 28 here, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Friends, that stumbling stone is Jesus. Isaiah had prophesied, and now Paul is saying here has been God's plan all along, that God would lay in Zion a stone, a rock but that this stone would be a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And so I ask all of you, we get offended by grace. Grace offends us. Are you offended by grace? See, grace tells us we can't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, that we don't have what it takes, that we are weak, that we are not good enough. We are not adequate or sufficient on our own. It offends our rugged individualism, our go-get-em spirit, our independence and autonomy. Grace says that we're needy and dependent. That doesn't sound like the American way, does it? Grace offends. And scripture warns us about this. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount gives this very sober warning when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, be careful about where you stumble. Do you stumble over grace? Lord, did we, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, do mighty works? Lord, Lord, wasn't I a pastor? An elder, a deacon, a ministry leader. Don't I read my Bible every day? Don't I raise my children right? Don't I vote for the right person? Don't I give for the right causes? In the Gospel of John, the disciples asked Jesus, what can we do to perform the work of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Be careful over the stumbling stone. Do you stumble over the stumbling stone? Second, look now at chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Submit to the right righteousness. And Paul begins, and like he did at the beginning of chapter 9, this shows Paul's missionary heart. This shows that the gospel is the power of God first to the Jew because listen to Paul's heart and his prayer. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Does that sound like a Stoic theologian to you? Listen to that evangelistic, missional passion. Do we share that passion in praying for our non-Christian family members, our non-Christian friends, those in our community who are without hope and lost? Paul's crying out, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them. I'm a fellow Jewish person, and I'm praying for my kinsmen that they may be saved. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but a misplaced zeal. Not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, this gift righteousness, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Remember I said we're looking back and we have to see this as biblical history. We need to recognize God's plan was always for Israel to be his people. But what does it mean to be the chosen people of God? Biblically, not politically or anything like like that. Biblically, what does it mean? And it goes back to God's covenant with Abraham, his relationship with Abraham, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God said, All nations, that's all the gent, that's Jews and Gentiles alike, all nations, the world would be blessed or saved through Israel. In other words, Israel's vocation, Israel's mission, the point of calling Israel biblically was that they would be the bearer of the salvation of salvation for the world. Of course, only one problem. They're in the same boat with us called the boat of sin. They have the same issue we do, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile alike. Human being. If you're a human being, you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how can you be the bearer of salvation to the world if you've got this sin problem? The sin problem has to be dealt with. And that is, as one commentator put it, Israel could only if, like Jesus himself, be cast away so that the world might Be redeemed. Here's where the history of Israel is going. Verse 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law. That means Christ is the goal of all of this. See, only if there is a faithful Israel and a faithful Israelite who is Jesus, who stood in the place of Jew and Gentile alike, substituted himself so that the curse for the law fell on him. Everything that the law leading to righteousness said had to happen, all of the justice of God, all of the wrath of God fell on Jesus. And Jesus also fulfilled the law. So that all of the righteousness of God, all of it could be conferred on those who believe in Jesus. As a gift, righteousness is a status. See, this doesn't abrogate the law. As verse 4 says, Christ is the end of the law. He's the goal of the law. He's where everything was moving for righteousness to everyone who believes. Friends, think about this. Righteousness means being acceptable, being approvable, being okay is available and accessible for everyone who believes. Jew and Gentile alike, meaning everyone. But there we're confronted by grace again because we can't perform for it. We can't work for it. We can't attain it by our own efforts. It has to be simply received as a gift. And the promise is amazing. No one will be put to shame who believes. This seems so counterintuitive to our brains. Everything in my mind goes, if I preach a good sermon, I'm a little more okay. If I preach a dog, I deserve rejection. Whereas the gospel says, Jesus was righteous, Jesus was perfect, Jesus was acceptable, and God gives us that as a gift. Does it feel counterintuitive to your heart? Because it sure feels counterintuitive to my heart. Let's at least have some spiritual, intellectual humility and admit we all struggle with this. This is a universal struggle. We all want to establish our own acceptability, our own being adequate, our own being good enough. I mean, think about this. If you're a student, you might be feeling the pressure of getting good grades, getting into the right college. If you're a young parent, a young mom or dad, You might be feeling the weight or insecurity of raising children in a dangerous world. Will they turn out right? Will they be okay? If you're in the business world, you might be feeling all the pressure to achieve, to climb the ladder so you can retire one day with a sufficient income, hopefully not too many regrets. If you're retired, you knew I would get to you, didn't you? If you're retired, You might be looking back at your life and wondering, where did it all go? Did your life count? Or you might be facing the future with anxiety and fear. Friends, all of this is the struggle for righteousness, for knowing that we're secure, knowing that we're okay. One of my favorite theologians is a man by the name of Richard Loveless, and he said, we all automatically gravitate toward the assumption that we are justified by our level of sanctification. We start each day with our personal security resting not on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or recent achievements. And since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we are inevitably moved to a self-righteousness which falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. J.B. Phillips wrote a paraphrase of a translation of the New Testament, and he translated Romans 10:4 this way, he said, "Christ means the end of the struggle for righteousness." Friends, what if in our lives, Christ really was the end of the struggle? What if repentance for us really looked like? Quitting, striving. Quitting, struggling, fun- functionally, for perfection, for achievement, for reputation. What will they think of me for glory, for acceptance, for worth, for validation? The good news is Jesus is all of that for us. He has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is enough. If you are in him, maybe you've never believed in him before. You know how simple it is to believe in him? The hardest thing to do, but the simplest thing. All you have to do is Father accept, say, Father, accept me. God, accept me. Because of the righteousness of Jesus. And you are fully in. Completely welcomed. 100% belonging. Christ's righteousness. You can be a part of God's family. And friends, we don't have to struggle so much. At least we don't have to struggle for acceptance. I think our biggest prayer each day should be or ought to be, Lord God, help me remember my acceptance in Christ. Let Christ be the end of the struggle. Lord, I pray that for myself and I pray that for all my friends. I pray that you would be the end of the struggle. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. Lord, my heart's desire is that everyone here in this room would trust that simple message, would believe that, and be welcomed into your family. Lord, and I pray for Lake Oconee to be flooded with that message of grace. I pray that for the Jewish believers in Melbourne and Sydney, Australia. I pray that for the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close our service singing nothing but the blood of Jesus.
3: What can wash
0: If you are interested in just a very, very brief informational meeting, giving you an update on the facilities, please stay after the service to meet with that particular team. Friends, now hear the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.